Welcome back to another episode of Tales from Corporate, hosted by Maria and Elise. Each week, we bring you our tales and perspectives on trending topics around work in corporate America, because life can often truly be stranger than fiction. Be sure to share Tales from Corporate. Listen, download, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This week's tale is about D-E-N-I. What is it? Diversity, equity, and inclusion. What do those three words mean in corporate America? Used to be that it was diversity and inclusion. Then about a year or two or three ago, it became diversity, equity, and inclusion. What do they signify in corporate America? Do you feel that we're making any progress in corporate America? with those three words and those initiatives. Maria, I'm gonna pass this over to you. Tell me what you're thinking about DE&I. Well, I have a lot of thoughts. Obviously this is coming to fore and it's continues to be a topic that is top of mind for many folks. Even this long after this country has been established and we've gone through an entire civil rights movement. Last year was a reminder, we're nowhere near done in terms of establishing equity and inclusion across the diverse people who live in the US. So speaking from the perspective of black individuals working in corporate, and I'm just one, I'm not here representing everyone, but between you and I, Elise, we've had a ton of conversations between one another and many other bright, successful uh, Black professionals who feel similar ways. And so we can't always talk about this at work, but with these DE&I movements, we have to. There's now committees, there's now metrics being measured against how well an organization is doing against their DE&I goals. And so for many of us who never talked about being Black in society, much less being Black at work while we're on work time, this is a sea change. So I have a lot of thoughts and tales, and I've contributed in a way to the DE&I formal efforts at uh, my firm and also to that of some of the nonprofits. And I've made some observations, so I'll share some tales there. <laughs> One tale is around the very fact that while it's absolutely crucial that when you're talking about a peoples, you include them, nothing about us without us, right? That phrase. It's great to have those individuals at the table so that you're getting a reality check on the policies and procedures that you're talking about, the issues that you think are the issues, and to have the people who are impacted by this included in the conversation. So getting right into it, what, what are we talking about here? We're talking about institutional racism that's impacted uh, practices within corporate. And when you are <laughs> pulling in and you're asking questions of people who are black or brown in the middle of the workday or even petitioning that they join, these conversations around DEI, you have to be aware of something that you're asking the very person who is impacted by 
the worst of these practices to help solve the problem and fix it when they weren't a part of building the structure on which we know corporate America to be based on. They do not benefit at the highest level of privilege when we're talking about organizational rank or titles or monetary wealth in terms of the percentage of the organization that's owned and paid out to do not look black, that majority of wealth, okay? So we're going to start there and work our way down to, yes, many of black and brown professionals have many, many, many stories of how it impacts their work. We don't like that it impacts our work. We're not trying to be victims, but here we are. And it, in a variety of ways, shows up and rears its ugly head. And I know this is a very sensitive conversation for all of us, and that's human. And no one's playing the blame game here, but I'm just talking to the reality of it. There's a lot of different factors for how the issues of DE&I impact many individuals. One, just getting in the door, right? We've talked about this in the past and we're sure to talk about it again. It is eye-popping how many tales we have in our network of folks who uh, are part of the majority, they happen to be white, and they don't happen to have had to go to all of these elite schools and have these graduate degrees and have tons of work experience, tons of expertise before being given a role or a stretch opportunity or a promotion. Many of us even to get the interview have to show up or sound like the right fit. And that is something that should be discussed because what we have been doing by we, I mean organizations, may not necessarily have been the right approach in terms of finding talent. Two, we have to do the job, right? Like everybody else, we're expected to perform at a high level day to day, but oftentimes beyond just being highly effective at your job, you're working while black or you're working while brown. And that often involves code switching. Even if you are fortunate enough to have had English as your first language in an English-speaking organization, you still may not have grown up with the sayings, the euphemisms, the practices, and the belief systems of the, the dominant culture in America, which is white culture. So what does that mean? You have to often think before you speak in a way that will make the person you're speaking to comfortable. You have to often not express your true feelings and it impacts this business of authenticity in a big way. Many of us don't feel like we can be our authentic selves because we've learned that that's not acceptable in a variety of ways. It's learned behavior. So I'm gonna pause there. Elise, I don't know if you have anything to add there. I do, Maria. I do. I, I'm exhausted. <laughs> I, can I just confess, I didn't want to do this episode. I know people expect it from us because it is tales from corporate, but I'm exhausted at where we are in America and in corporate America in 2021 with this exact subject matter. I'm exhausted that women don't get paid the same amount as men for the same jobs, the same roles, the same titles. I'm exhausted that we have to consistently remind corporate America to be diverse 
and I'm exhausted that we have to worry about inclusion and including everybody. And it's not just color, right? It's also gender in the workplace. And you want to say, yeah, we come to work to work and get paid for that or get compensated for that work. However, I'm exhausted as a woman of color in the workplace working in technology. I get so excited when I see someone of color, whether they be Black or Latinx, working in technology. I have a lot of feelings around that. I think it's a lot of lies and excuses that technology departments and firms tell themselves about not having enough STEM students to pick from. I don't believe that. I believe that many big cities are turning out um, STEM students uh, of color who are minorities and they'd rather hire people overseas. I don't know. I've been purposely avoiding DE and I conversations in the workplace. <laughs> this is terrible because Maria, you've been working on those initiatives at your firm. I have purposely been avoiding them because I don't feel I don't feel that they're genuine. I feel that until people really openly address what they're doing and why they do what they do things may never really change. I mean, AI, artificial intelligence, you know, the people who work and do what we do, they're programming the machines. They're programming their bias into the artificial intelligence, into the machine learning. If that doesn't tell you, if you're a disbeliever of bias, that doesn't say something to you. That should say a lot. That artificial intelligence can't tell the difference between skin tones and shades. It can't figure out. It's just very upsetting. I don't know, Maria. Lately, it's just been when I've been approached from headhunters about roles, some of them will slip up or on purpose mention, purposely mention, oh, well, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that lets me a red flag that that particular role, that particular organization, is probably problematic or has a track record of not being hospitable to people and or women of color working there. Why would I want to go? <laughs> Why do I want the problem mission? Why can't I have smooth sailing? <laughs> so, I, Maria, I don't know. I, I, I feel exhausted about it because it's good that the conversations are being had. I will be positive about that. I think that the burden of women and people of color having to educate or remind or point out to others in the workplace, how something is problematic is very exhausting in addition to doing your normal workload. What do you think, Maria? I think you'll find that a lot of listeners will be so happy that you said that because exhaustion is what I felt. It's what I continue to feel. It's what I heard from others last year, along with hurt. 
triggered, confused, angry. And it's not that people of color are trying to be victims here, but the reality presents itself like it did, for example, late 2020, when you have Wells Fargo CEO, right? Saying something to the fact that it's difficult to find talent of color when many of us are chomping at the bit for more opportunity, more compensation, more responsibility to show our talent and to show our expertise and the hard work that we've put in year after year after year after year after year after year after year. Then, despite not wanting to even be talking about this, we have to recognize that it's part of the experience. It's happening. It's here. And it's not an academic exercise for many of us, as it is for some folks. I can't tell you how many times I heard last summer uh, people say, I didn't realize police brutality was that bad. And I'm thinking, well, glad you woke up to it. Many of us never got a chance to rest. We never went to bed. Hence, we're exhausted. And I've had conversations with, because I don't want this to be about attacking the white man. It's not about that. It's about trying to progress this, okay? So that you're not working with people who are thinking this. They may not be telling it to you, but it's part of their experience and you might be playing a role and you don't even realize it. So I've had conversations with a couple of white colleagues who I love and adore and admire, and they will often describe a situation that's clearly racist and they don't want to label it that because it's a very triggering word. I've begun to say to them, well, why not? Why not label it for what it is? Just because it's going to make others uncomfortable. I know that these are HR trigger words as well. So it it comes with sometimes paperwork and investigations and all the rest of it. And I, again, I'm not an expert in any of these things, but I don't think it's okay for just us to just relax on, well, it's uncomfortable, so I'm not going to address it for what it is. I think a great book around this discomfort is Isabel Wilkinson's book, because she, and as well as Ibram Kendi's book on how to be anti-racist, and I know that those two books came up a lot last year, but they continue to open my eyes to how uninformed we as a society continue to be about the dynamic that's happening around us and the outflows of institutional racism and then how it's played out in a variety of ways that we may or may not realize are connected to institutional racism. And again, is this conscious? I'm saying most times it's probably not conscious uh, that folks are trying to be biased or they're trying to be racist. But there's a saying, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So it deserves taking a look at. Well, now you have me excited because you're bringing back a lot for me, Maria. You are. I know I'm sound super subdued, but it's just because you want to go to work to do good work and be compensated for that. And you're lucky, you're fortunate if you find community around that. I find in <clears throat> technology sector, 
because people are dealing with a lot of mathematics and a lot of logic, think of like Spock from Star Trek, they go racism, what's that? It's a construct that doesn't compute, right? <laughs> There's no racism in math. People get very uh, logical in that fashion and they go, no racism but i find that one of the worst things is to be around people who are super woke or want to nullify that there is a condition that there's a context that does exist and it does influence individuals decision making it just is it's it's alive it breathes yes we want to snuff it out but it's here and i think about in technology that a lot of times DE and I initiatives or goals are satisfied number wise with hiring and retention by hiring brown people from overseas or from within the United States. Now, this is where it gets tricky because then the Caucasian tech bros go, We're not racist. We have this individual here from this country or their families from that country, they're brown, but you're not hiring from within Latinx and Black American or Caribbean American or African American individuals within your ranks. And then they'll use the argument that, oh, the skill set, the skill set is not here. That's not true either. Like I said, are you making the initiatives to go to the different schools in the big cities or in the cornfield areas that have these programs where students are accelerated or are pushed to? They have to start at the junior high school level to encourage these students to know that there is a path, there is a way. If the local school district or school board has not created these magnet or STEM programs or encouraged enrollment from underserved areas in those programs, if they can see a light at the end of the tunnel, students will push through, their families, the village will push them through to finish those programs to get there. Grow with Google was a program they started. I've been watching it from the moment before it even rolled out when they were talking about it. It was their backup plan because 45, the, the last president, the ex-president, he was blocking visas and making it very difficult for people to hire individuals from overseas. And a lot of people in that camp or whatever your political beliefs are, felt it was necessary because you're making Americans first. You're putting Americans first. You may be for that, against that, or not have any feeling, but technology bros were like, oh, we've got to staff up. So our usual way of staffing up is that's no longer a conduit. It's not very reliable anymore. We can't do the I-9s and the, and the H-1 visas or whatever. So now we've got to do what they should have been doing maybe all along, possibly, hiring from within. So they started Girl with Google as an example of a program they roll out nationally. You have to pay for the courses yourself. They will certify you. And I believe if you finish the program, you are either guaranteed a spot with Google in that particular role or you're on a wait list to interview for it. But it's a chance that you may not have had ever 
to ever work for one of the big technology companies. And I've forwarded that to so many people. They're not a sponsor, by the way. But what I'm getting at is, does it get to the right people? (laughs) Where are they advertising? (laughs) I know I see it on YouTube, but YouTube is a Google product. But I keep giving it to as many nonprofits uh, that we work with. And I ask people to share with another person and just keep passing it on. And hopefully someone will take the initiative to make a leap into the technology field where they may not have. But my overall point is, is that I feel that there's a lot of excuses about the skill set not being here. There are a lot of people who do, and that's when you talk about racism, Maria, people who do fundamentally believe that Black and Latino kids do not have what it takes mentally to do high-level thinking, high-level computation, and logic. And that is highly problematic. And then you have many people in technology who go, well, what racism? Look at our ranks. But if you look at the ranks, I can't tell you how many roles I've had in technology where I am the only Black person and or I'm definitely only Black woman. Okay? And this goes back to you and I, where we all met in high school. The education system in New York City right now, (laughs) Mayor de Blasio, I I don't know. I don't want to talk about him. But (laughs) I will say his son, his youngest son did attend our alma mater. And look at how things changed there. All it took was a few threats of lawsuits or litigation some complaints, ending of certain programs at the middle school and junior high school level. And all of a sudden, the numbers dropped. We were one of the last classes, which is really saddening. I picked Brooklyn Tech for its diversity over Bronx High School Science and Stuyvesant High School. And to think that we were part of a time that doesn't exist anymore, that there are less Black and Latino kids at Brooklyn Tech. But then at the same time, it's a cudgel that people use to divide because the numbers are filled by lots of Asian children or Asian students. And then people will see, we have diversity. We have diversity. So once again, they fill their numbers with lots of Asian people from Asian descent, whether that be India, would that be China, would that be Japan, would that be Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, Pakistan, whatever. And it's nothing against those individuals. They deserve a spot too. But white people sometimes have a way of assuaging themselves of guilt by doing so because it's, look, we've given minorities jobs, but you're leaving others behind. What do you think, Maria? I couldn't agree more. And I appreciate you sharing the experience that you've had, particularly in technology, where on the surface, what does DNI have to do with a very quant focused discipline? And it's a perfect microcosm of the greater issue of all the different ways that society does sometimes doesn't want to see 
the issue for what it is. I can't tell you how many times I've heard tales of one organization trying to compete with another organization for how much diversity they've hired. And like you said, it's diversity in the lower ranks when really it's nowhere near reflective of the diversity of the U.S. in terms of percentages. And by the way, <laughs> it's not connected to the proportion of wealth or the profits that the firm makes that, that people of color are taking home in their pay. Because lest we not forget, when we're talking about equality, when we're talking about equity, it seems to strike me that I think, <laughs> and, and maybe it's unconscious, but it should be mentioned. Folks feel like if we get to equality, they're going to lose. Something will be taken away from them and given to people who don't look the way they do. And they don't even necessarily, like you were mentioning just a few moments ago, they're not necessarily even bought into the capabilities of that other person just based on how they look or what their name is. Stereotypes. That's the word I was reaching for. Stereotypes and bias. Well, groups themselves begin to buy into the bias and the narratives that have been placed on them. So the strong black woman narrative, that trope actually originated from what I understand from Hollywood. But what it's become is, oh, black women can't feel pain at the same rate that others can in healthcare. And so there's issues with pain management of black women from a corporate standpoint, it may not seem as if we ever lose confidence because we have to show up confident in our work, but a lot of times we're not as confident as we appear. And it seems like a vicious cycle that we look confident, so we don't get support. We're not advancing in our career, which doesn't gain us necessarily more support <laughs> and on and on there. I mentioned that there was a lot of exhaustion and people have expressed that the conversation triggers them and that there's pain involved. And as you mentioned, it goes beyond just race, right? There's so many different factors that even I will confess to you all that last year I was profoundly faced with the realization that I don't understand the transgender experience and that is not good. I've never had to have that that conversation with myself that there's so much I need to connect to. I need to be inclusive in my thinking around gender. Like it's not as simple as his and hers bathrooms. I I I I do need to be very careful about the pronouns other people wish to be identified as. And I've given myself that challenge that I too, even though I sit in a minority category, I too have a lot to learn and I have a lot to listen to from people who sit in that group and what equity and inclusion looks like to them. And I, I can't presume to know what that is because I have to listen. I have to do the same things that we're asking white people to do well in categories that I don't fit in last year, even though I didn't always feel that way. At times, my actioning, my participation in these conversations, and oftentimes I was participating, reflecting as I am now, the views that were shared with me 
offline in my text messages, in my instant messenger, and so on. Oftentimes, I was the only voice to bring that to certain rooms and certain conversations where they were making policy that would then impact me and my colleagues. But one word that came up that I didn't necessarily feel was hope. That connects me with what I realized is we won't always have the energy to have these conversations and show up in our fullest present mind to speak intelligently, to be diplomatic and to reach for solutions. Sometimes it'll just feel like a rant or just be an expression of the hurt and the frustration that we often face. But what we can be hopeful about is there have been opportunities that before 2020, some people wouldn't have had that they do have now in terms of uh, contribution to these policymaking conversations or roles and promotions that were influenced by bias. And now there's a greater awareness of that. So now they are um, finally getting the role or the promotion that they've deserved for so long. Maybe too little, but not necessarily too late. So protecting one's peace, understand that it's okay to feel whatever you're feeling. Allow yourself to feel that way. And when you can, and when you have the energy, learn, read, pick up some information, raise your voice, share your experience in a thoughtful fashion. Again, being as respectful as you can of others. It's okay to say, I'm not ready, I'm not ready to talk about that right now, or whatever it is that protects your peace. But realize diverse opinions bring the variety that we need as a firm, as an organization, as a country to be competitive. It's really, really not a nice to have done well, diverse people in the room actually sharing their perspectives in a way that's inclusive and being treated with respect and compensated in an equitable fashion ultimately will give you the best that folks have to offer. And that just means everyone will win. How we get there, very, very complicated, very hard work, no easy answers there. I'll end with this, Maria, for DE&I. Rule number one, or the biggest thing you could take away from this tale, be diverse in your hiring. I can't stress that enough. You want change, you want change to be effective within the organization, then be diverse in your hiring. Number two, promote in a diverse and equitable fashion. You wanna see middle management change, you wanna see senior management change. Then hire and promote from within in a diverse and equitable an inclusive manner and be understanding or try to try to understand your organization's hiring practices. What is HR really looking for? Do they only pick from certain schools? Sometimes you have to think out of the box when staffing up. And lastly, to my tech bros, look from within right at the help desk. Look at IT tech support.
Some of the smartest untapped talent is stuck at the help desk. And a lot of times, where do you see the Brown and Latin X kids or youngsters working? The help desk. They know how to build servers, take them apart. <laughs> they could be on the quantum computing teams building these machines, but no, they're on the help desk. <laughs> they know how to deal with hardware, many of them. They also know how to troubleshoot. They often are the first to sometimes intercept cybersecurity breaches because people within the org have issues with their machines and they're stuck on the help desk. And maybe they get to level two, maybe level three expertise on the help desk, but they never get off the desk. And they should be encouraged to be solutions architects, developers, analysts, data engineers, etc. Totally great advice. So as I mentioned, a lot here, a lot that we could be doing differently and challenging ourselves. As you mentioned, it's not easy, but thinking outside the box, it, it will be beneficial in the long run. Remember to always advocate for yourself because if you don't, no one else will. And to the listeners that have been overlooked, have overstayed, are complacent, or just plain unhappy, free yourself. Good luck and Godspeed till the next episode. Remember to download, follow, share, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And please feel free to leave us a review.